Our scripture today continues in the book of Philippians, chapter 1, verses 12 through 26. Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I am in chains. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached, and because of this I rejoice. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. But what shall I choose? I do not know. I am torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far, but it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain, and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith, so that through my being with you again, your boasting in Christ Jesus will abound on account of me. On one particular day, in the middle of the first century, the Apostle Paul stepped into the small city of Philippi. As far as we know, up until that point, no one who lived there knew anything about Jesus Christ. In no formal sense had the gospel or the message of Christ reached the European mainland at that point. From the coastal harbor of Neapolis, Acts tells us, Paul walked up the Via Ignatia, a Roman road built in the second century BC. It ran the length of northern Greece all the way to modern day Turkey. It was a remarkable achievement of the day, built with ingenuity and engineering to facilitate the timely delivery of things, primarily the delivery of Roman army units to keep the populace under control in the Roman Empire. 
but also to facilitate the deliveries that we are more familiar with today. Deliveries of products to keep commerce and trade running in a prosperous empire. Soon, the Apostle Paul would meet Lydia, who herself had walked this path, this road, the Via Ignatia, from her home in modern-day Turkey, Asia Minor. She had walked it in order to deliver her products in Philippi. Purple textiles in great demand in the market in this town. Like Lydia, Paul was walking to Philippi to deliver something of his own. And yet it wasn't even his. He didn't produce it. He didn't own it. But he was compelled to share and deliver the good news about Jesus Christ. You see, Christ was his life. And he encouraged others to receive the life of Christ into their lives and live a similar life of singular devotion. The establishment of a church of believers in Philippi, in fact, was just the beginning. There was more preaching of Christ to do so that others could be introduced to the Christian life. And that's where we meet Paul in the second major section of the first chapter of his letter to the Philippian church. Reading here from verse 12. Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to, remember this phrase, to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else implied here in Rome that I am in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident themselves in the Lord and dare all the more to, remember this, proclaim the gospel without fear. In the five verses that follow this, Paul speaks of preaching Christ three times. It's not just Paul who's preaching it. Others are preaching it as well. Some from good motives. Others, not so much. And some of these folks, of the not-so-much variety, have been causing Paul trouble. But even in the midst of the trouble, he recognizes, he wants the Philippians to know what the bottom line job is. And so he says this, he rejoices, verse 18, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. You ever have that day at work? where everything's going haywire, people are at each other's throats, but if your job is in sales, you're, you're selling the product. 
The work is getting done. Everyone's going to have a job because of that. Everyone's going to get paid. And that's a good day at work. You're grateful for that. But there's something in that where you recognize kind of what business you're in. And that business is getting done. Just like that first day when Paul walked into Philippi on his second missionary journey, proclaiming Christ to advance the gospel, the good news of Christ, is what Paul is all about. And it's what he's all about in this moment as he writes to the Philippians from prison years later. And we learn here that it's not just him. Like we noticed, others, and in fact, quote, most of the brothers and sisters, close quote, are becoming confident themselves in proclaiming the gospel. They understand that this is the job, that this is the work of the church. And Paul welcomes this, even though it gets a little ugly when everyone's proclaiming the gospel. But what we see here is Paul's core commitment on the part of the church to proclaim Christ as Savior and Lord. A commitment that remains steadfast in the face of both fear and suffering. A commitment that survives us being human with each other. Rivalries, wrong motives the things that come to mind during the prayer of confession each week in church. You see, for all of the challenges of following Christ in the real world, as people who have yet, not yet arrived at the people God wants us to become, for all the ways that we fall short of the goal in the way we treat each other at times in the church, Christ can still be proclaimed as the Savior of the world. And in fact, perhaps with more authenticity, that if Christ can save the world even in spite of our fallings, it demonstrates that it's about Christ and not about us. The Greek word here in the text for gospel is euangelion, from which we get the word evangelism. Because I'm preaching to Presbyterians, I realize some of you have turned down the volume on the sermon once you heard that word evangelism. But I encourage you, just take that knob, just dial it up just a little bit to hear me out. And hear Paul out here as well. Because Paul is setting up here something that is close to his heart and that we see in the New Testament church that the sharing of the good news of Jesus Christ is the work of the entire church. It is our business. It is what we trade in. It is what we offer to the world. Like a business would offer one thing to the world, what they make, and maybe they make it better, more quality than any other competitor. We have something to offer that's value to the world. The world that is so used to buying things to fit into their lives. Well, we have dare I say, and I can say it with the confidence of the Apostle Paul, because if the Apostle Paul was here today, he would say it with true confidence, that we have the best thing to offer that there is in this world. 
And I thank you for that amen and the applause, because that is applause and amen to Jesus. The work of the church is to advance the gospel, to deliver a message. And so the question comes to us as individual believers and as a church, how's the delivery business going? Have you noticed the number of delivery trucks on the road these days in your neighborhood? You know, I don't know about you, but I mean, I can hear them coming from two blocks away. You know, and, and there is a sense of anticipation, isn't there? Maybe this is my package. The stats are mind-boggling. Amazon alone ships 1.6 million packages each day. How many of those have you, did you deliver, Joe? A bunch. A, bunch, a whole bunch of those. UPS, on average, delivers 24 million packages a day in 200 countries and territories. It's amazing what kind of deliveries can be made by those who know that they're in the delivery business. The church is the delivery system for the gospel, right? Like, we've got that so far, right? If the church doesn't deliver the gospel to the world, who's going to do it? It's by God's design. It's by the call of Christ. Yes, I think if none of us did it, we would trust that Christ, who is all-powerful and wants to see it delivered, would find a way to get it done. I mean, in the Old Testament, God talked through a donkey when the prophet didn't want to speak God's word to the world. But Jesus has made it clear what his plan is. And that is for us to deliver it in his name, by the power of his spirit. And it's remarkable what happens when the church recognizes that this is meant to be its core activity. But what happens when we don't deliver? Well, simply put, the supply chain gets messed up. Oh, yes, you're right. It's not the gospel that is in short supply. There's plenty of Jesus to go around. But God has chosen for the message to be shared by those who have received the message. We pass on what has been passed on to us. And our inaction or distraction can cause a bottleneck. And what you're seeing on the screen is a cautionary image. The cargo-laden ships that were anchored in waters off of port cities during the height of the COVID-19 pandemic, when the global supply chain collapsed. I remember that touched us here in Puget Sound. I remember we went for a, a session retreat at a home on Whidbey Island, owned by a member of this congregation. And and expecting to see just a beautiful uh, uh, view, what we saw there was just a lineup of cargo ships tucked away in nooks and crannies along Whidbey Island. That's what was going on at that time. They were waiting to be offloaded. There was a bottleneck. Something was preventing the delivery 
of those goods. Speaking of goods, it is true that the gospel is not a commodity. So at some point, this comparison does break down. We're sharing about a person. We're sharing about God. Not something to be produced or packaged or sold. And that's a really good reminder to have. But that reminder, as important as it is, does not take us out of the business of sharing the gospel. It only share, tells us how we need to share the gospel. That we do it relationally. That we do it by witness. It is how God's good news gets delivered. That we, sisters and brothers, that we gain confidence, just like the Philippians, in sharing the gospel. Each one of us has a part to play. What are the ways that we can do that? I think we still can. One way we can do it is kind of a tried and true Presbyterian way that we shouldn't discount, especially in this congregation, in this moment in our church, and that is to commit ourselves to share the gospel with the next generation. That's how the frozen chosen are still around. Have you ever wondered why that's the case? If a group of Christians ever was more afraid of sharing the gospel than Presbyterians, I don't know who it would be. Amen? I mean, let's just embrace it. Um, even people who are out, uh, like, like outspoken about evangelism, I find myself to be more outspoken in Presbyterian circles uh, with evangelism. You put me in with a group of Baptists, I'm over in the corner. But, the, but one thing that Presbyterians have always been good with is recognizing that the nurture of children, not just their own, but the children within the community, in planting seeds of faith, exactly what you saw testified to in the video that you saw this morning. That's why we do it. We don't have Sunday school and long to reach out to families with kids so that we look good as a church. We might have to fight that temptation. We do it so that these precious lives that have been created by God, that they can come to know their Savior and Lord and have a hope that goes beyond this life. And we do that with passion. As we have throughout the history of this church. We do it when we share with family members, when we share the gospel in words of encouragement with our neighbors, but also by being a part of a church and doing our small piece in the full work of the church. So when the church is talking about reaching out to the community, which we are only beginning to scratch the surface of in this congregation, but you're going to hear a lot more about it and more and more and more. And that comes with an invitation to discover your part in it. Remember when I said how many packages Amazon ships each day? There's no one named Amazon. It's a collective of millions of people, each with a small part to play in that reality happening. It's the way the church is. If we're going to reach out, it's going to take all of us at some level. Because there are ways we can continue to proclaim Christ. As we do that, 
we will be elevating Christ in our lives for the world to see. This is what the Apostle Paul transitions into in the rest of our text today. And in it, we hear his passion about the true depth of devotion that he has to the person of Jesus Christ. That after all, this is where the motive for sharing the gospel comes from. Is that his life has been touched by, rescued by, transformed by this good news. And it's a relationship that means the world to him. Continuing in verse 20. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed but will have sufficient courage so that now as always Christ will be exalted in my body whether by life or by death. For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to go on living in the body this will mean fruitful labor for me yet what shall I choose? I don't know. I'm torn between the two. I desire to depart so I can be with Christ right now. That's better by far. But it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith. So that through my being with you again, your boasting in Christ Jesus will abound on account of me. If in this text, and even stretching back to the first passage in the first chapter of Philippians. If in this first chapter, you're thinking that Paul is talking about Christ a lot. You'd be right. Nineteen times in chapter one alone. Right up there with the most times that Christ is mentioned in any single chapter in the entire Bible. A remarkable number even for someone who knows he's in the business of delivering the gospel. You see, Paul can't stop talking about Jesus. He longs for his life to exalt or elevate Jesus So people can see Jesus when they look at him. And he's writing while under arrest, not knowing whether his future would take a turn for the worse at any moment. And we know that that Paul did not, in a sense, survive his Roman imprisonment. He was put to death in Rome. And he died for the faith. But in this moment, Paul has a remarkable amount of transparency that he's sharing with his friends in Philippi. And he admits that this elevation of Christ, it might be in life if he's able to continue doing this and sharing about Christ with the people in Philippi, sharing about Christ with the Praetorian Guard, the elite military group that guarded the emperor that Paul was saying the gospel, that they all knew why he was in prison in Rome because he'd been sharing the gospel with them but he acknowledges 
in this moment of vulnerability that it could, Christ might be elevated through his death as well. He goes on to share that he's torn between these two dimensions of devotion to Christ. He knows that in death he would be with Christ, and he can't think of anything better than that because he's received Christ into his life personally and knows Christ. Yet he also knows he has been called by this same Christ to proclaim the gospel and give many more people the assurance of a Savior at the center of their existence. Elevating Christ... Being devoted in life and in death is something that we see in the life story of Eric Little. You know, uh, I've mentioned uh, so far in this series that, that I'm kind of inspired with the rowing imagery by the, the, not, by the book, Boys in the Boat, that speaks of the, uh, the gold medal triumph of a racing crew from the University of Washington in the 1936 Berlin Olympics. And it brings to mind, as I'm reading that, one of the greatest Olympic stories ever told. And this took place in the Paris Olympics of 1924, which, by the way, the Olympics are being held next summer in 2024 in Paris, France, precisely to mark the centenary, the 100th anniversary of the Paris Olympics of 1924. Some of you know more about that Olympic story because you watched movies in the early 1980s, and you might have seen the Best Picture winner of the Academy Award in 1982, which was Chariots of Fire. It told the story of two runners, one of whom was Eric Little, a Scottish Christian. Very important part of the story that he was a Christian because he was the fastest runner, the favorite for the gold medal in all of the sprints, but he chose not to compete in the 100 meters because of his religious devotion of not running on the Sabbath. And the prelims were on Sunday. He did enter the 400 meters, and he won the gold medal. Eric Little had been raised as a child in China as the son of missionary parents. And not long after the Olympic Games in 1924, he returned there as a missionary. A recent Chinese-produced film starring the British actor Joseph Fiennes as Eric Little tells more of this chapter of his story. He showed uncommon devotion, not only to Christ, but to the Chinese people, suffering, choosing to suffer with them under Japanese occupation during World War II. He set aside opportunities to be released so that others could be released, and he ended up dying of a brain tumor just a few weeks before the internment camp he was in was liberated. Eric Little had a message that he shared in his life and in his death. This phrase that he is famous for sounds a lot like the Apostle Paul. Christ for the world, for the world needs Christ. He shared about his experience saying this, It has been a wonderful experience to complete in the Olympic Games and to bring home a gold medal. But since I have been a young lad, I have had my eyes on a different prize. You see, each one of us is in a greater race than any I have run in Paris. And this race ends when God gives out the medals. 
And he gives a challenge to us today in this quote. He said, many of us, including those in the church, are missing something in life because we are after the second best. Sisters and brothers, the Apostle Paul's heart was torn between life and death because of the deep and intimate union that he had with his Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so this invites us into a come-to-Jesus moment. Not the come-to-Jesus moment that's really about accountability and getting people's attention, but really an invitation that I'm given the honor to do as I open up this text and invite any who are in the hearing of this now or by video later to come to Jesus. To open your life to the life of Christ that you might live the Christ life in this world. To invite you to receive Jesus as your Savior and Lord. To invite you to allow the presence of Christ to go deeper into your soul than maybe you've been allowing it to. The one where, where you are invited to serve him as you share the good news that you already know you possess and base your life on so that others will have this life of Christ in their lives. And I want to expand this invitation through the words of a Presbyterian confession. And that's the first question of the Heidelberg Catechism. Because it's, in another, it's another place in our tradition, in addition to Philippians chapter 1, where we talk about in life and in death. And the assurance of salvation. And the conclusion that assured of our salvation, we make ourselves ready and willing from now on to live for Christ. The question is, what is your only comfort in life and in death? And the answer is that I am not my own, but I belong body and soul in life and in death to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ, who has fully paid for all my sins with his precious blood. And because I belong to him, Christ, by his Holy Spirit, assures me of eternal life and makes me wholeheartedly willing from this moment forward to live for him. I invite you to take that step toward living with Christ, for Christ, allowing Christ to live in you and through you to allow the Holy Spirit to inspire your passion. Do you remember the spiritual passion that you have had in your life? If you find that you don't have that right now, the Spirit is still with us. Christ is still here ready to transform our lives and the life of this world the same way that it's the same Christ and the same Spirit that was in the streets and the market stalls and in the homes of Philippi many years ago. I invite you to say yes to Christ's invitation to join Him in the advancement of the gospel.
to make that your life's aim so that the world may know. I invite those who are making their first response to this invitation and also those who have responded in ways too many to count and yet this is still a significant moment for you to say yes to Jesus. Well, in conclusion, how do we experience the kind of passion that the Apostle Paul has in his relationship with Christ? One thing that has happened uh, that has helped people through the years is to continue reading in Philippians. Because you can't help for that passion to rub off as you read Philippians, as you commit its verses to memory. Try it out. Engage this series. Call up people. Look around you. Is there anyone not here today who needs to hear this message, who needs to dive in so that the Holy Spirit reignites their passion for Jesus Christ and they need to be here? Extend that invitation graciously but with conviction. We also experience the passion that Paul is showing through being a mutually encouraging community. I mentioned last week, they will know we are Christians by our love. Our koinonia, our fellowship in the faith is designed to, to kind of just bring people into that passionate community of faith. And Paul's going to remind us of that over the next few weeks as we go through Philippians. And finally, there's no way around it. Just like what Paul's doing here, his passion for his life with Christ, even his devotional life, is rooted in his activity of sharing the good news of Jesus with people. This is the way I found it to be working in my life. The more that I'm sharing about Jesus with other people, the more Jesus comes alive. I start seeing Jesus everywhere and in all situations. And I start being able to name what Jesus is doing in my life, in the life of my family, in the life of this congregation. Like Paul, putting yourself into a place of speaking about Jesus transforms our life. And it renews believers' faith. And that faith will be contagious. And what that contagion will be all about is the sharing of the Christ life. To live is Christ. Amen.